This week's episode of the Screenwriter's Rant Room is brought to you by avgearguy.com. If you have any photos or documents that you need to scan or videotapes or audio tapes or film rolls that you need to import into your computer, check out avgearguy.com. If you mention the name of this podcast, when you order, you'll get 5% off and a portion of your order will go to help support the rant room. All these formats degrade over time and are sitting ducks in the case of fire or theft. Why not convert it all to digital? All of your memories could be stored safely on the cloud or on a hard drive that fits in your pocket. AVGearGuide.com has over 30 years of experience with all kinds of media, digital and analog, and they can accept orders from anywhere in the United States. Don't forget to mention the Screenwriter's Rant Room and get 5% off your order. For more details, visit their website at avgearguy.com. I'ma say what I feel And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Rant Room Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminishing, the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind in the business, got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know the street nerds got no time for no caca. Sass in class, yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the Rant Room. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Hilliard Guest, and you guys are listening to the Screenwriters Rant Room, where we keep it real, we keep it opinionated, we keep it what, y'all? We doing Wakanda? What are we doing? We're doing Wakanda forever. Wakanda forever. Wakanda. Wakanda. <laughs> <laughs> you got to add that, don't you, Rich? Okay, okay. Uh, y'all know how we do it on the Rant Room. On the show, we discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture, but our focus is always screenwriting, stories, craft, and shit like that. Mm-hmm. You hear a voice, Lisa Bolakaja in the building. Yeah. Pretending like she's been up all night. Like she I have. I've just, just, been a, just <laughs> been like, you know, my sauna has been really, really bad. So it's like you try, you think you would rest and do all that. So it's just really hard. So, so you know, I'm looking at some content, doing some, just been a little today, yesterday, reading a lot. So. You know, trying to keep that mind tight. Yeah. For me, it's been the fires. The fires have just been fucking up my uh, Oh, my God. Just well, my eyes are burning all the time. Having to keep mm-hmm. the doors and windows closed and right. trying to get the air filters going. So, yeah, it's been pretty rough. And those winds, I don't know how windy it is where you guys are, but we were starting to get some little winds down here. Because we were actually kind of lucky in Dago because even though we had, like, the overcast kind of look, we weren't really getting the burning smell that much until the wind started kicking up. So, yeah, it's been bad. It's right. constantly burning. And I, um, I'm in Scottsdale, as you guys know. My, my, my husband's stepmother passed, so we're here getting our stuff in order. Mm. Um, so we're planning to be here for a week, but I have a feeling it's going to be longer than that. Yeah. You know how it is when you're dealing, you keep finding new things to discover, and it right. takes till the Friday before the coroner does this thing. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. So, yeah, we'll probably, I'm estimating two weeks, so we'll, but we'll see. Mm. Um, anyway, but he's doing fine. I mean, it was his stepmother. He, he knew her well, and we, you know, his father died, like, literally a month or two after we met. Mm. 
So, and, and, but we've kept her in, in their lives. So we literally used to separate Christmas and Thanksgiving between the parents. Oh, nice. nice. His mother, we would go with her for Christmas and then we go, or Christmas Eve and we'd be with her for Christmas. It was like a weird, nice. but it all worked out. I mean, everybody. Yeah. Was, the little trade off. Yeah, do you guys have, do you have your little bit? Do you guys have your babies with you? Oh, well, Scott doesn't go anywhere without them. <laughs> it's actually partly why we have her, hardly ever fly because he doesn't want to go anywhere without their little girls. Yes. We literally, yeah. he, and he, he comes here like every two, three months. Yeah. So yeah. It goes somewhere. So he's always taking the girls. So mm-hmm. for sure. So then we got Chris Derrick in the house. What's up, Chris? You was hanging out with Brian Fuller, my cousin last night. Yeah. But did he, was a lot of people there or just a few people? Uh, Maybe like 10, 15 people, 10 people, oh, maybe. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So, oh, oh, um, no, I can't say. Yeah, don't say it. I'll tell you after. Okay, cool. <clears throat> so I'm sure he had some, some heavy hitters in the house, though. <laughs> well, no, I just, there's something, I mean, I'm, I'm going to talk to you both about something that okay. you might be interested in. He showed me, but just no problem. Later. All right. Um, let me see what else. Uh, I know we can't talk about the uh, documentary. Exactly. That, exactly. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. Yeah. Well, uh, that's why we talk later. About what <laughs> no problem. No problem. And then we got my man in the house, emerging writer himself, Richard Scott, for the 20th time on the podcast. <laughs> Hi, guys. How you doing? Good morning. How you doing, man? Just thankful to be alive like everybody else, you know? Thankful yeah. to be alive. Yeah. Pushing forward. Yeah. It's funny you look tired, but you look like you just got some. I see it. I got the video. Ah, he just got some. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, he's down at his girl's girlfriend's house. I see it. I got the video tape. I know yeah, what's happening. I don't let nobody know this, but in college, I trained with lesbians on how to. Uh, oh, it was like that. Yeah. I was like, how do I do it? My friend was like, I got you. <laughs> he literally jumped out of his seat. Was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, all right. Yes. <laughs> Good that, guys. That's how you learn how to do what you need to do. There it is. There it is. That's a whole other podcast, bud. <laughs> Sorry to take it there. No, well, that's fine. <laughs> that's why we're called the rant room. We jump off on some shit. So <laughs> if you guys are grown, let's go ahead and get to the show today. So today we're going to answer some Q&As um, from some of the listeners out there as well. Um, like I said, I got my man Rich on the show, you know, and he just went through uh, management interview hell and ended up in the end victorious. So we're yes. very happy for you. I don't know if you told Chris and Lisa yet. Um, go ahead. Oh, no. So uh, very fortunate enough to sign with Andy Patman, uh, A3 Artist Agency. So, yes. yeah, nice. he's the head of the agency. He's the head of the lit department. And I'm nice. very, very, very fortunate. Um, they're very excited. And um, it's been been a good good few weeks working with them so far. Nice. nice. Yeah. That's good. Praise God. Praise God. Yeah, man. Y'all don't know. Trust me. Rich was on the end of some shit. You know what I mean? Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. This person, this person. I mean, the good thing is, here's, here's a cool thing. I know we're jumping off for a quick second, but this is interesting. So the cool thing about this is, and we've all been through this, Lisa and, and Chris, where shit is going like nothing. And then the next day when you feel like, fuck this, I might as well just stay here in San Diego and just be a teacher. 
all of a sudden your phone rings or you get an email out the blue from somebody who read a script three months ago who you were like, well, they probably just weren't interested. Right. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. it gets your juices flowing again. Like, well, maybe Mm -hmm. I am supposed to be doing this because I was ready to quit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know what I mean? And that's Mm -hmm. kind of what was going on with Rich. Like every time he's like, man, I don't know, dude. I don't know. And then boom, guess what, Hill? Two people just hit me one while I was on the call with the other person. (laughs) You know what I mean? That was crazy. That was crazy. Yeah. (laughs) I think I think for me it was just having to turn down two hundred thousand dollars like with yeah. that 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 um that um whatever that was studio deal slash option it was like with that's what huh with Blutman and then the W yeah, yeah yeah and then just not having that opportunity and then trying to negotiate in good faith but not feeling like they were there and then yeah there was nothing and uh, my lawyer was like trust me you know and just had to step out on faith and that sucked. <laughs> so praise God, everything worked out. Um, but yeah, it was not a fun, fun few weeks. It was eventful, but stressful. Yeah. It's an interesting thing how it works. You know, sometimes something falls into your lap that sounds too good to be true. Right. <clears throat> and even if it's a real thing, like it was making me think about like American Idol and all those other shows where you have somebody who's, I think, I think their limit is 27, 28, for example, on American Idol, where you can only, you have to be only be a certain age or you can't audition anymore. Or like The Voice, where I think you could be any age on The Voice. <clears throat> but a lot of people come on, they're like, this is my last try. Like, if I don't make it on here, that's it. Like, they put all their eggs into that one basket. And what they don't realize, sometimes, if you have a killer audition and you even get to a certain amount, you could use that to spring other things. But people just think that they have to be on the show. They have to make it to the finals. But we all know most of those shows, the, the people who won, minus, minus Carrie Underwood and, um, and um, um, well, I'm not forgetting her name, has her own show, Kelly Clarkson, for example, most of the people who didn't win, Fantasia didn't win. You know, Jennifer Hudson didn't win. You know, we can keep going. You know, the dude, um, um, the rock singer, what's his name? I'm forgetting his name. Um, there's two of them. They didn't win. You know, and still, everybody's careers are still doing well. So really, it's about how you handle your platform is all, all I'm saying. So, yeah, anyway. that's, I mean, look, I mean, I mean, I mean it, you know, there's, there's a lot to, I feel what a, a lot of people don't realize, recognize unless you get into it, is the, the ebbs and flows of everything. Right. And they always talk about the peaks and valleys, peaks and valleys in doing something creative. And people kind of think that, oh, once you get one thing, it's all going to be, it's, you know, like, it's it, it's going to be smooth sailing from here on out. And that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you meet people all the time who, I remember I met this, I remember one time, Way back when I joined the guild, I met this guy. He was kind of like he was working for the guild at that point, and he was like, <clears> you know, <throat> he was, you know, he was working with like Melinda and stuff like that. You know, he's okay, right. that level. Mm-hmm. But he had sold that. There was a show called Evening Edition that was on right. like a long about you know what like this guy could. It's like an extra type of show, wasn't it, or or early it was, edition? It was, it, yeah, early edition. It was a show, no, no, no. It was a show that was on like. USA is about this guy who could see oh, the show. Okay, he, yeah. could, he could see the headlines for tomorrow. You know, uh, so he kind of knew what was going to happen ahead of time. 
Mm-hmm. And the show ran, and you know, he said the show ran for like two or three seasons, mm-hmm. and he was broke, and he was working at the Writers Guild at that point because he couldn't what? get another job. Wow! You know? And I was kind of like, how did this happen? And he just was telling me about like this is the cautionary tale, like he, like you know, when I was riding high, I, I didn't do the deal right with that show, so he mm. did all sorts of shit. Just did, like like like, just he was so happy to get it sold. He wasn't really like. What Rich did was like, well, turn that deal down, you know, because yeah. you know, because now here he was like five or six later, five or six years later, he hadn't been on staff, he hadn't sold anything, he's fucking, you know, he's he's working you know, probably for, for, for like forty grand a year kind of thing. Yeah. And I was like, that's not that's not a lie, but it, but it's a good it's a good cautionary tale about what happens to you mm-hmm. if you're not really like administering your business the right way and i mean right. it's like you know there's a book there's a book that that's I, it's hard to get now i actually found some scans of it the other day and i was cleaning up it's called um how to agent your agent oh yeah um, i've read that mm-hmm. yeah but yeah but but the book is out of print and it's yeah. and it's and it's it's been stolen from the library yeah i know the so, guy who wrote that um chad no, 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 no! It's a woman. No, no. There's oh. a guy named Chad Gervich who wrote a That's book what I'm about, about okay. that. But there's another other one wrote a book in like the early 2000s. That she used to be an agent, and okay. it's just all this is you have to be you have to be on top of like with your deal, like with your your representation, because right. it's like it, it doesn't become any easier once you have those people. Mm-hmm. You know, it it becomes easier when you can make calls to places. And you don't have to really worry about, and then your your rep is just kind of closing deals for you, right. you know. Um, but that's the place where I think a lot of people aren't at. I mean, that's kind of where I'm in an interesting spot right now because, these, you know, I you know like my friend is EP, you know, he got my script to like this like a pod, and she's been championing me to no end. It's mm-hmm. just like she's been like, you know, I'm gonna do something with you. I sent her something that she loved, and she was like, I'm gonna get the producer on board, blah blah blah. And I, and I was like, that's dope. That's mm-hmm. real dope. And that's not my manager, you know. That's that's the damn. Uh, uh, it's the woman at the studio, you know. Yeah. So, but and that's why I'm kind of like, you know, like I'm just I'm making the most out of all that, and I realize that it's like, oh, I can call her directly now about something. Right. These party people are calling me saying, "Oh, well, like call me directly. Here's my number. Call me directly. Call me directly." So That's what you want? Like, yeah, yeah. Because because that way, like, you're not beholden to just like the whims of your reps and you know and what's their juice and everything like that. So for sure, uh, it's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. Hey, Lisa, did we miss? Did we lose you? Are you still there? No, I'm still here. Okay, I can't see you. All right. The um the first couple of weeks of working with my reps has been intriguing because I was, I'm in a similar position where like, I think I went on at the start of the year and I was like, I'm going the like, 2020 is my year. I think I said that at the start of this year. And so I've been hustling. Cause like, I got to own up to those words, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I'm um, thankfully, um, you know, I, I won a competition script pipeline competition for mm-hmm. the a pop mm-hmm. script. And then finding happy got me as a finalist in another, the roadmap writers competition. Nice. And, um, you know, that came with like, they were just, like distributing it. And so this all happened before my agents. And so um, they, 
like, one competition sent it out like wide, and then my agents were like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa! What's happening, bro?" Yeah, I was like, "Oh, I was like, I'm a hustler, homie. I'm a, I'm a hustler, homie. Like, I just, I don't have time for y'all to like, you know, sit down." And they were really excited about one script, but not the other. And I was like, "Well, cool. If y'all aren't excited about that one, well, let me go ahead and just keep working. I already have people buzzing about it. What's the point of slowing up?" And so, anyways, um, yeah, you just gotta. That's the one tip I'll say is, you know, your your agents and your managers, you know, you they only make 10 percent, you know, so you got to do the 90, yep. you know. Yeah, you do. I, I mean, I mean, the thing the thing that, that, that I kind of like where I am now is. <laughs> I'd have to send people spec scripts right now, you know, mm-hmm. they're basically like just send me two pages on, on what your idea is. And if we, and we're down, then let's talk about like going to pitch. So you're, you're in development right now. Yeah. So you're, you're skipping, you're skipping it. People are like, based on, based on meeting you or somebody reading your script and vetting you, they're like, okay, this guy's ready to develop. You know what I mean? His personality, he's smart as fuck, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's, that's a good thing. You know, the, the only bad thing, there is a negative to, (laughs) <laughs> to developing, as we all know, because I'm in it right now, where you have four or five projects you're developing for people. You know, you and I are working on one now, as you know, Chris. And then yeah. you get, but they expect you to read a fucking book. <laughs> you know what I mean? And develop some shit and come up with your whole pitch and how you're going to do the damn thing amongst all the other things you're doing. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, yes, you're not getting paid for that development. Exactly. You're not getting paid to come up with it. But my thing is, it's not hard for me to come up with the two paragraphs of the pilot. Yeah, that's, that's easy. You know, the character stuff. I mean, I mean, I mean, you know, like just trying to write that. I mean, it might take me two weeks to get it really clean. I mean, the thing that they that C, the CBC really responded to essentially, essentially, you know, she was like, "Hey, I want you to do like, like bring me something." Mm-hmm. Uh, and I kind of m- mentioned something in the media. She's like, "Oh, is that a pilot?" I was like, yeah, yeah. She sent it to me. And I was like, well, I hadn't finished working on it. I just started working on it last year. And I said, so just just, just give me a minute to, to kind of clean it up. And I was reading it, and I was like, do I even want to go through the effort of trying to clean this up when I could just see if she likes the idea? Mm-hmm. I, could just put the, so I could spend the two weeks of, not even two weeks, like I spent a week just writing up the idea. Like, and I just gathered all my notes that I used to develop the pilot when I was writing, when I was writing the pilot, you know, like all, who the characters were, everything like that, what the show was going to be, just all that stuff. And I was like, okay, here it is. And, um, you know, and they responded like, let's roll with this. Mm-hmm. So, which to me is better because, you know, it takes a lot of time and energy to, and, and, you know, you might be doing six, seven, you know, drafts and polishes mm-hmm. to get your shit in a point where it's like, someone's going to respond to the pilot. Right. And, and also, I also know that a lot of times, they're not so invested in the pilot because they didn't put any notes in it, you know? But if you send them, like, the little one sheet, and they're like, oh, where's the outline? You develop mm-hmm. it a little more with them, and you take their feedback, well, then then they get excited about it. Right. You know? and it's, well, they feel, like they feel included. And that's, they feel included. that's what I've been learning the most in this develop. I've been in development hell, if you will, for two years now, and with six different companies. And what I've learned is, all of them, like what they're doing with you, Chris, they want to be a part of it and they want to put in their input so they can help you build on it. You yeah, know? yeah. 
<clears throat> like I get a lot of people hit me, for example, because I'm over next to own network, right? Going, Hey, who do you know at own? <clears throat> I got this script. I'm like, they're not going to buy it. And I'm like, why? I said, cause they like to develop projects. Uh, Oprah likes to have her hands in the projects from the pitch, you know, yeah. from the, from the, here's the little log line. You know what I mean? So all those shows, Greenleaf and all those, from what I hear at least, were developed and built out to a script. Well, 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 well yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, well, you know, I was talking to my friend Chris Brancato, you know, who created mm -hmm. uh, Godfather Harlem and Narcos, and he was saying to me one time, like, he was saying, like, the town is, like, <clears throat> he said, because, and, and he goes back to, like, way back in, like, the early 90s when he wrote the movie Hoodlum with, oh, yeah. with, uh, with uh, Lawrence Fishburne, and he was saying, mm -hmm. the town is, there's more spec pilots floating around now then there were spec scripts, spec features when the speeches were selling for like three, four, five million dollars. Because it. people are under the impression that because of things like Mad Men and a few other things were got people wrote them on spec mm -hmm. and then they got made and then, you know, and that's like the real lottery ticket of just like writing that five million dollar spec and, you know, the feature like twenty years ago. But mm -hmm. you know, but 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 writing a pilot is actually a little easier than writing a movie because you don't have to come up with the ending, you know? And, I mean, I almost like, like you just have to stop it at a very, uh, at the right level of curiosity or the right level of twist or something like that. So you're almost kind of just writing to, like, you know, the middle of the second act of a movie, and you're going to hear by this. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is that, like, everybody, particularly with the television show, as opposed to a movie where, you know, in a movie, it's like if, the, if, if it's mainly there on the page, they can see what this is. Well, then they go, okay, well, well let's go get some actors and, and start putting this together, start shaping this package. And, you know, and they might have some notes, but if it, but because they know, they, they see what the whole, the final piece is going to be. Right. And the television show, that's not the case because you go, yes, you gave me the pilot, but I need to be able to know at least what the first season is going to do. And, and, and you got to have all that. And and the, and the way television works, almost like like no one breaks the whole season on their own, you know. Yep. And you know, and and even if you happen to do that, then the network and everyone like still is going to want to give you notes on all the outlines and blah blah blah. So it, it doesn't even, it doesn't even well, move you to write like like eight episodes. No. You know? And here's the cool, here's the interesting thing that I'm learning as I'm going out pitching to really big companies is. They really, like you said, just piggybacking off what you're saying, this is just my experience. They really want to hear that you have, you know, that, that, you know, of course, the characters, the world, the hook and all that other stuff. I usually pitch the teaser and the pilot, but they're in the beats. You know, here's the big moments that lead up and we see the arc of the character and the dilemma and boom, there's a big hook. Right. And 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 then I'll talk about what happens over season one. And I usually just talk about what happens at maybe in episode two because we just left the pilot. And right. then say, right. then I'll jump to like mid-season point and our character is going through these things. And at the end, I'm like, now he's, he or she has went through these things and whatever. There's a big final blow up between the bad guy and this person and boom, it's an explosion. Does he live or not? Well, of course he does because it's season two. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'll leave it like that, right? And so usually when they ask you the questions after like well so great that's great what do you what do you see happen in season two that's where i ask the question where i answer the question i don't write it i don't i don't i don't pitch it to them i pitch it to them during our conversation you know right i want them to know that they're involved 
you know? And sometimes I do give them two different options so that they know that they could pick and choose which one. And usually I'll do the other one so it isn't as good in, intentionally because I want them to go the way I want them to go. Well, well, well <laughs> you know, you know what what? I mean? Yeah, the, I mean, like right now I'm getting ready to go out. I mean, like I sent, a, I sent, a, I mean, there's a project that I, there's, there's a woman, she, she's the development, she's a producing partner for, for, for a big TV and film director. Right. He and they wrote a script of mine, and they were like, "We want to like work with you on something." And we actually want to develop that script into a show. Do you have? I was like, mm-hmm. "I guess I'm on that." Then I missed. Like, what else are you doing? I pitched something. She was like, "Oh, do you have something on that that I can read?" And I was like, I, "I've got uh, ten pages. I got the opening act." And I, mm-hmm. and, I, and, I was, I got, and I sent her that, and I sent her a deck, and she was like, "We want to do this," mm-hmm. and, and and we showed it to our, our to our agents. And this is what they need to go forward. I was like, I have all that. I, nice. I, which was like, like, what's the first season? What's mm-hmm. the rest of the pilot? You know, like outline form. Like, you know, it was only a page. And then I did what you were saying is that in, it, for me, I wanted to do it just as a mini series. And I said, well, that, I kind of said like this. And they were like, well, how would it work if it was, you know, if it, if it was two or three seasons? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, well, I'll just write. Yeah, I did what you did. I wrote. I, I wrote up two paragraphs of what of what seconds what season two would be with mm. two different options, and let them let them decide what they were interested right. in exploring. And they came back and said, "Oh, and it involves them." That's the yeah. whole point, right? Yeah, for sure. Awesome. But I know we just jumped off on that, but there are some questions that the writers are having about like what they do before they, you know, if they get into develop, development or if they pitch things, you know, and this happens every day. Even younger writers, emerging writers are submitting scripts to companies, being called in, and then people asking them to send them back a one page on the thing that the other thing they pitched. You yeah. Know? So these are, yeah. these are important things to know for sure. So, um, cool. So Lisa, let's go ahead and jump into um, Kamika. Is that her name? Mm-hmm. Uh, the questions? Yeah, you're going to have to read them up. You might need to sit your little butt up, get yourself ready. <laughs> back, having her wine, I'm, lay, I'm laying back, trying to chill. <laughs> well, you you know what? She's doing it the way I would do it. We would do a ticker. I'd be just lying back. <laughs> <laughs> lay back. back out. Yeah. Lean with it, rocking with it. You might not have to read the whole question, but if you figure out how to even summarize it, it's fine. You know what I mean? No, no, I'm trying to figure out which one I want to. Whatever one you want. It's cool. Let's see. This is Kamika C. Spencer, by the way. Shout yes, out. yes. <clears throat> um, let's see. And feel free to well, jump in, Rich, whenever you You know what? I'll, I'll do the first one because it's kind of interesting because I don't know how many people are really checking right. for African cinema. So the first question is, how is Black Hollywood dealing with the rise of movies coming from Africa? Mm. I've noticed that the African movies are using more American-sounding African actors and the stories are becoming sharper. I feel like they are also telling stories that put black people in roles that African-American writers, actors have been trying to get um, white Hollywood to acknowledge. Is black Hollywood supportive, threatened, or shrugging shoulders at this movement? Hmm. Well, I have a few things to say about this. There's a show on Netflix that I've watched part of the pilot called Queen Sono. The and South African, the South African show. The South African show, right? And there was, and, there was, and then there was another. There's another South African show. I'm actually going to start watching tonight for some research. Um, and Queen Sono 
feels like it could have been on USA. Like it's a light kind mm. of spy thing. Um, and you know, it's not, it's not, it's not like some prestige type of genre, like, like spy thing, which, which, which no one's done yet. Really, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and I, but the thing is, this is the difference though, right? So, and I, I know that I think a lot of black people are probably Hollywood people. I think they were a little, I think they were a little jealous, upset because they were always upset about how like black, how these non-American blacks would get roles. Like, remember Sam, Sam Jackson was so pissed that Daniel mm -hmm. was in yep. Get Out and he was like, like that. But see, here's the difference about what's going on with like, you know, like African shows and Black Hollywood. Black Hollywood. And let's, got and, and wait, wait, before we get started though, let's be very specific because if you're, if some of our listeners are watching stuff on um, Netflix and stuff, there's Nollywood, which is the Nigerian film industry. Right. They have the TV and stuff. And there's like the South African. Like I haven't watched too many like TV shows or films um, that are big that are coming out of like Ghana and Senegal, stuff like that. But for the most part, a lot of the, um, in particular, the West African content that I've noticed on Netflix that people have access to now, like I said, they're coming from Nigeria or it's coming out of South Africa. So I just right. want to make sure people are kind of clear. Okay, so there's two things on that. Like one, that's because Nigeria is the largest, it's the largest market in Africa. It's the largest right. population country. And, uh, you know, I mean, the, the market might not pay a lot, but there's enough people watching and it's a, probably an advertising supported model. And then in South Africa, and then also I think a lot of stuff from South Africa, I mean, from Nigeria and particularly South Africa, that stuff is also kind of geared to play to, to African immigrants who are in Europe, particularly mm. in the, you know, <laughs> who, are in, who are in the United Kingdom and mm -hmm. maybe France and stuff like that. But the thing, the di here's the difference about what's happening is that, because uh, there's a project that, that I'm working on to try to get done. I'm just producing a, pro help produce a project in South Africa. And the difference is, is that in, in, in black Hollywood, no one has got any money. You know? <laughs> so they can't make a decision about, well, we want to put a show on the air with black stars and blah, blah, blah. They can't make that decision. Okay, I mean, who you are, like, even like the guys at Macro who've got some financing on their own, they still do some partner stuff, but they can't just put a show on the air. The thing, and the thing about shows in, in Africa, the way it is in the rest of the world is the government, you know, like adds funding or the, the predominant funder right. for the programming. Cause it's going to go on like South African broadcast ch channel. Yeah. And therefore it's like, you know, the, so the people in charge are black and uh, there, and they're trying to do black shows, and, and you know, so 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 they'll do a show about a black South African spy because that makes sense to them, and they don't have to ask well, like anyone white for permission to put that show on the air, you know. I think what I think what I think what's happening is though they're seeing that the the, the model for international content is like is at a certain bar. And and if they can reach that bar with a show like Queen Sona, for example, then they know it's not just a local market show. They right. know that if, that if Netflix is picking it up, it's got the right production values for like like for them. You know that it's they probably put a lot of money into that, and they probably gambled a little bit 
but it paid off, you know, but that's, I would just, I just wanted to piggyback off the comment that you said that Samuel Jackson did, you know, a couple of years ago. I remember that. Um, I, I still don't fully understand why Amer- black American actors in particular, like him, who have the same theory that he does, doesn't get why we're still casting these, you know, British actors in our roles and whatever. And to me, it's a couple of things, but it kind of goes back to, I was telling you guys about when I first signed my agency and I told them, you know, that, you know, we live in your world, you guys don't live in ours. And I said straight up, I was like, do you know why you ever, we ever watch a movie and you, you hear somebody with the perfect American accent and then you come to learn later on a year later that they were actually British or South African or Australian or something. I said, you know why? They're like, why? I said, because it's fucking easy to them. They're over inundated with, by us. Just like we are. We live here. We're surrounded by white people. You yeah. know, that's all we see on TV. That's a, we make fun of it. I said, it's easy for us to write with you. you know? So it's easy for them to do our accents. It's really yeah. easy. You know? Imagine that with a really good actor involved in that at the same time. It's, 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 it's simple. You know what I mean? Now, let me finish my thought. We got to get to that. Because I remember when they came out with 12 Years a Slave, you know, everybody made the big fuss about Steve McQueen. And they keep forgetting that even in those islands, Trinidad, I'm not Trinidad, I'm sorry, um, uh, all the, oh, forgive me, all the, all the islands of Haiti and all those, they all were slave islands too. Yeah. You know what I mean? They keep forgetting that, that they understand what it's like. And they had just as much uh, prosec- persecution as we did in America in some instances even in England, you know, we know what happened in South Africa. Well, with, 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 some, with, some degree, with some degree of differences, I will say, in terms of the Caribbean, where even though they experienced slavery too, to a degree, they were the dominant population. So they were constantly seeing blackness around them. So a lot of times when they come over here, that's why you would have those schisms in the early 40s and 50s when you had a lot of the 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 immigrants, West Indian immigrants coming over here when they were getting hired and picked over native black Americans because they didn't have the, the idea was they didn't have that stick on their shoulder, you know, well, because it's a, it's a little different cultural thing. So I just want to make sure that we be very nuanced when we talk about, you know, the diaspora and our experiences with slavery and all that kind of stuff too. Cause a lot of times those yes, differences yes. and nuances do get lost. So when we, when we get into those, those nitty gritty conversations, that's when people start getting really personal with that kind of stuff right. and get their feelings all and their panties in a bunch but i just want to just throw that out there in case there's somebody mm-hmm. chomping at the bit like yeah but it's a little bit different than us like yes it, it's it, slavery is different for different groups of black people but the point is we all come from that kind of background so we do have some similar understandings with that yes. yeah well, well yeah, yeah I, I think you're right Lisa, because the thing about it is is that you know every place See, it's interesting, you know, I was reading this thing about India, about how, how India wasn't colonized by the British crown at first. It was colonized by a British company called the East Indian Trading Company. <laughs> this company, so this company <laughs> owned, the, the, so they came in and owned India, and then the crown forced them to give, you know, to give it up to the crown. But the mm-hmm. thing is, is that that's a population that outnumbered the British in a certain, in a, in a huge way. Right. And the same thing, and all, like you're saying, like in, you know, uh, the, the Caribbean islands, like the, the you know, it was like, it was, it, it was a, in, in most places where there was blacks brought down to, for slavery, 
it's a situation like where it was in South Africa, where it was, it was a very, you know, the, the population of whites was so minority, and, 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 and they had their boot heel on, like, this huge number of people. Yeah, and, yeah. You, you can't, you know, you can't and that, stand against guns. You can't. <laughs> right, right, you know, yeah. and, and that definitely puts a different nuance to, to, to what goes on. I mean, to me, I think a lot of the reason why those British actors are really fucking good and come over here and can kill it is, it has to go to the fact about, like, the way the training is. You know, like, the training in those places with, like, Rada and shit like that is, like... I, I don't think it's training. I don't think it's training. It's our music, no, it's, black, it's the export no, of black American culture. Hold on, hold on. It's let not training. It's not training. training. Let me say this. I just, let me just say one last thing. The training is this. I'm not saying it's everything. The training... You can get those scholarships to that because the government funds that. That's what I'm saying. That they don't have that here, where there's no like like there's no acting school that the U.S. government is like supporting or that any of the states yeah. are supporting. Well, Chadwick Boseman went over there, so yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. He went there and got paid for by Denzel and all that kind of shit like that. And it's and and I think that 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 has something that has something to do with it. I think no. it has everything to do with it. I think it has something to do with it. Go ahead, Rich. Here, guys. Okay, so I've. I started as an actor, and I'm still an actor, and uh, this pisses me off to my core. It's one of the things I hate most. Idris Elba, I believe, said that um, black actors from Britain and overseas are better because they have a depth that African-Americans don't. Uh, and that's a popular misconception <laughs> with, with casting directors. There's also the training bias because, like you said, um, Royal British Theatre, like they all sponsor it. Um, they're sponsored, and so they have direct, more access to uh, acting education. Mm -hmm. What I will say, though, as someone who's gone to two of the world's best acting training schools, I study at the Moscow Art Theatre, you know what I mean? Like, I've literally sat in the chair where Stanislavski directed The Seagull. I've literally touched the desk where Chekhov wrote The Three Sisters. I performed at the Loeb Drama Center. I I've literally had turned down um, opportunities, you know what I'm saying, in New York because I wanted to come to L.A. Uh, with all due respect, that's fucking bullshit uh, because no British actor, I don't give a fuck what you say. I've seen and done it all. I've walked in blood trails. I've been homeless as a kid and as an adult. You have no better depth than me. That is a popular misconception. <laughs> and as an American black actor, I'm all for supporting people. I don't shit on anybody at all. Get your money. Get your money. But don't ever for a second think that you're naturally predisposed to being better than us because fuck that shit. And if you put Jonathan, you can put Jonathan Majors up against any actor. And I would take that motherfucker. That's my fucking LeBron James. That's real talk. No, no, no. Let me say Quick, let me say this. I got to get off my chest. Jonathan Majors was, he should have got a fucking Oscar. I agree. For yes. San Francisco. It's yes. bullshit. Plan B yes. didn't put him up yeah. for that because they, they were going against push. Brad Pitt. They didn't push it. Because yeah. they were going against Brad Pitt, and that's fucking shame. And yeah. I hope it doesn't cost me a chance with Plan B, but fuck it, yeah. I got to say. <laughs> yeah. No, it, ha it, had, look, it look. had to be said. It had to be yeah. said. Yeah. Look, I agree with you, Rich. You've been to these places. I'm not saying that the, that the African actors that they have more depth at all. I'm not saying that at all. I'm, I'm, I mean, because that's that's obviously wrong. That's the perception, I and guess. It's that's the perception, the yeah, and, it's, right. it's, and that also kind of goes back to 
there is a perception from a lot of black Africans that, that uh, African-Americans are just lesser. And, you know, and that's something that's outside of acting. I just think they feel that in general. Yeah, but, 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 here's, but, here's, but here's the here's the irony about that, Chris. When you watch these shows, because like I said, nowadays a lot of the access that people have to a lot of of, of I'm talking in particular West African cinema because that's pretty much what all Netflix has available right. is the idea. Um, oh, what I was going to say. Oh, the irony is that when you watch these shows, not trying, and not just the TV shows, but the movies too. And trust me, I've I've spent plenty of time binging through a lot of stuff. A lot of it's not very good. Let me just put it out there. I don't care what kind of what you want to say. And some of it is very good. Like one of the best things that have come out out of South Africa that I think in terms of the TV series that I cannot wait for it to come back is Blood and Water. Mm, and right. the idea is this though: when you watch those shows, for them to say that we have no death, we have no stuff, it sure is ironic that a lot of their lingo, a lot of their style, a lot of the way that they tell their stories their, is based on their. black American cultural stuff. They got Crips and you, Bloods in there. Listen, listen, <laughs> you'd be watching these movies and then you'd be sitting here and you could close your eyes and it's like the language they use and how they say stuff. Because I'm telling you right now, wasn't no niggas in Africa. But when I be watching some of these movies, they'd be talking to slang and oh, yeah, nigga, oh, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, so... And and how they how they their swag that they get is like Black American swag. So the irony is when I hear these people saying we don't have any death, we have me, we have no culture, we don't have anything. It it sure is funny that I can sit here and watch something in the motherland and they look and try to talk and act and try to be like us, like the music, this everything. And you know what? They family because you know it's diaspora, so that's like our cousins from way back over there. But it. it these kind of notions that people may have, certain people, I'm not saying all of them, but certain people who have from the continent who think they may be superior, who are better, it, it sure is interesting that they do take on our mannerisms, our things that we've created here to use it to tell their own stories, which is the irony. It's like, I want to hear you and what you're doing, but when I look at you, I'm like, oh, you're just kind of mirroring me. You know what I mean? That kind of stuff. No, so it's like, oh, okay. All right, I see how this goes. <laughs> like I'm here right now. Like the one thing that, that that always kind of makes me just chuckle is that if I see a show or a movie and and we're seeing you know some some Af some West African youth or South African youth, they're up here wearing like Air Jordans and they're wearing like the, it's it's like like and that's and that's easy though because that is part of American dominance and media and culture. So we do have we do have the big machine backing us. So when people complain that Black American culture proliferates, you got to remember we come from an imperialist country that dominates and pushes us everywhere. So they cannot help but be wearing those Air Jordans and doing that because you know America. Well, 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 well yeah, but that's the thing though. Is the thing is is that they're trying to emulate what they see for us as opposed to where's my own shit. You know, I mean, I mean, I mean like to me. I don't buy the damn the the the, th the thing about the, the the African actor is better. I just feel that there like there could be something about the the, the training because I, th I this is why I think the training and education is important. And, and Rich, if you've been to, to the Moscow season, then you know it's it's like there's a there's a process that will help you that will help you explore your voice better whether you're a writer a director an actor if you have the training because it because it kind of focuses you quickly and it helps you get to what you want to do like faster 
And and, well, and to me, that it's like, oh, it's like if you if you're an actor and you've done training, it's like, hey, to take that adjustment that the director gave you, how do I do exactly. that faster? It's because I've practiced that enough, stuff like that. Well, you I know mean, me, Chris. I'm a snob about this, and I admit it. I come from theater, like Rich does, right? You know, I've done ACT and all that shit in San Francisco. And so when I'm, when I'm in the casting session, as you know, I'm not looking at people's credits to see what movies they've done. I'm seeing what theater they've done. I'm seeing what their real training is. And I wonder if there might be other people who do that also, and we might be a little snobby about it, and we do notice that somebody was at BAFTA or some other British Royal Academy of something, and we're like, ooh, we lean in a little bit more. You know, yeah. but if I saw Moscow, I'd be like, I'd lean in on that too. Yeah, you know okay, I mean? completely, so, completely. I mean, because to me, I think it's that. And, and I say that because I just feel like I've, I've, I, like I've met a lot of black creatives who are struggling with where they are. And they're like, I'm, like, I'm not getting this and blah, blah, blah. And it's kind of like, well, what's your training? You know, I think I think I was telling you a couple of weeks ago when I was on that I was I was on this interview thing for Bloom, and this guy was yeah yeah, and this guy was complaining about um, he was at AFI and he was like I read poetics and I'm not trying to read poetics right right, but he's but but he's turning around like wondering why his scripts aren't that great or not getting the response that he wants. I was like, well, you know, like what's your foundation? Mm -hmm. Is weak, then maybe your your work could be weak. Your idea could be great. Execution might be weak. That's all. Okay. The next question. So, Lisa, are you on Twitter? Yeah, I'm going through right now. I'm trying to check through. They're like all starting to come in. Like, okay, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Let's just go ahead. Let's go through those questions too. Go ahead. Are people listening live right now? No, no, no. They're just. I just told people to tweet their questions, and we'd answer it, and you know, we'd shout them out and stuff like that on the show. Okay. Okay. Cool. Okay. Um, let me. Let's. You want to go into the next question? Yes. Yeah. All right. Here's one. This is from um, Shomari Kirkwood um, at Mix Oberon on Twitter. It says, "More of a fun question than a serious one. What's the genre or type of film or TV show that just isn't getting made anymore, or not getting made enough?" that you really want us to take a crack at? The rom-com. I'm bringing that shit back. I'm Are bringing you bringing it, it back to rom-com? <laughs> Labors of Love 2021. <laughs> I'm telling you. Ah, that's it's so a good funny. script. It's a yeah. good script. I'm all the way through it yet, but it's a good script. I will say shit. that. No, nah, but I think, I think for me, I grew up... Um, I think I have a, a fantastic sense of love, like fantastic, not like meaning great, but like well, just you're, kind you're of romantic. So of course. right, right. Yeah. I think, and okay. I think it was shaped by romantic comedies. Um, and I think black folk, people of color, we never saw ourselves in those roles. Unfortunately, like I think about serendipity. That's like my favorite holiday movie. I don't think there's a black person or a brown person in that movie. Right. Um, yeah. I think about, um, you know, uh, Hitch, of course, is Hitch. Right. Um, I love that. I think the reason why I love that, even though it's like hella when you look at it, like it's hella like um, problematic. Yeah, pro <laughs> there's a lot of toxic masculinity oh, yeah. in that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I watched it. I was like, that movie didn't age well, but I think well, I'm trying to modernize it. But um, I, I look at that movie. That was my favorite movie growing up. You know, mm -hmm. I can still watch it. Um, but anyways, I think that was the first time where I saw a rom-com with a black lead. 
and I, and a Latina lead, and I was like, oh shit, like yeah. there are brown people in this very white world, but they're still brown people. And mm -hmm. so I think that's only where successful I people. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So I would love to see a really good uh, rom com. I'm trying to make it myself. For me, I think I'd like to see, and I, because I used to love this, and even though they made a bad remake movie of it, I won't count that. Um, I know this sounds corny, but I loved it as a kid, and it probably wouldn't fly now, but I think it could if you just set it in the Caribbean. Like, I loved um, The Love Boat. Oh, my God. If we're talking about rom-com. Like, I loved, I loved having, like, the set of, like, recurring characters but we had like this group of like guest actors or different yeah. people coming in There's a and, you had, and, and you had like maybe two or three three different stories happening at yeah. one time they were going somewhere you had a romantic setting mm -hmm. so i wish they bring something like that or remember the old this is going way back um remember the old love american style love american, american style, style where it was like a little anthology series with like romantic things at the heart like i think right now i just miss those kind of light type of shows that and like a fantasy island type thing but more of a the way fantasy island used to be you know what i mean right, right. kind of like the great tropical location and then you have like these weird little you know that kind of stuff and i also miss anthology shows even though i just saw a horror one that's coming out i miss like thriller horror anthologies kind of like the old classic uk thriller or um uh oh god I know we have the Twilight Zone right now, but I'm talking about something that's new and fresh and different, not a remake of something, mm -hmm. but a new creation of something that's more like maybe like Amazing Stories, um, kind of sci-fi, light, kind of family-oriented. I just feel like we just need some kind of lighter, romantic kind of things coming out of this COVID thing, right. you know? And, and normally one would think, you know, since I love sci-fi and, and dark things in general, I just have not been in the mood to watch those type of things you know, the last six months since we've been going through our own dystopian. So I kind of want to see, you know, like Richard was saying, like more rom-com, more romantic stuff. And um, I think that's why I took a shining to um, Issa Rae's uh, rom-com that she did a couple of months back on Netflix. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where oh, oh, it, yeah, with, um, yeah, yeah. It's your boy. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was just, yeah. It, it's just, it was so cute and so light and it was so needed that I think I would like to see more of that type of genre made and you know, like you said more romantic more more hopeful upbeat you know what about, up, what about up you ending. chris i'll tell you a genre that is not that they don't make them anymore i don't think they can't make them anymore um i just saw a clip of that i just saw a clip of basic instinct last night and i, I was mm -hmm. like they don't make these sex things no like they don't make That's, they don't make those anymore no way. And, and i'm not sure if they can but I mean, I but I remember in like the late '80s and throughout most of the '90s, like those were like uh, body double and body all double shit. and like yeah. heels and shit yeah. like that. And I was kind of like, yeah, but I don't think we do that anymore. Um, it's just, uh, 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 but it'd be interesting to see those in with people of color, mm -hmm. you know, because mm -hmm. because we never saw the people of color like in those situations. Uh, I mean, there's that one maybe with with. Uh, Taraji Henson and with um, Idris Elba, but I don't, but, 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 but it didn't reach the level of like a basic instinct or like a sliver. Right, or, right, you know, right. You know, the one just came out with Omar Epps on Netflix? I don't know. What's that? No. There's one that just came out on Netflix with Nia Long and Omar Epps. Uh, we, that which we, we shall not speak of. Yeah, it was, 
It was, it was, it was, it was, you know. I applaud, I applaud the effort, but it's like yes. I've seen that story before too many times. So, so. But, the, but, but here's the thing about, about, about Omar Epps and, and, and Nia Long. Yeah, I like them as actors, but it's like, those people are pushing 50, mm-hmm. right? There's so, nothing wrong with watching 50-year-olds go through that type of stuff. That's, you know, it's just the story's got to, like, be up to par. That's all. Yeah, they still look great. They still yeah. look great. Yeah, they do. I mean, they do. But, I mean, I, I, I just, like, yesterday I just saw the clip from Bits Instinct. You, you know that part when, a, when, when Shemstone's in the club and she's dancing with the other woman? And I was like, oh, yeah. I, I, and I was kind of like, well, that's, yeah, we, yeah, we don't see that. That was hot. That, that was, was hot. hot. Yeah. That was hot shit. I was like, fuck. Like, that's the episode we don't see. Um, I actually kind of like, you know, I mean, I, that's just, I, I think there's those kind of, I mean, I was watching that movie the other day, Showgirls, because there was that w- weird documentary. Oh, that, right now the, cult, that, the, cult, the cult classic. Well, well, well yeah, because, <laughs> because it's like, I seen that movie since it came out, and there was a, there's a documentary called, like, um, it's called um, You Don't Know Me. Right. Yeah. And it's kind. Of, it's kind of just looks at like it's like it looks at like the the impact of that movie. Like just because it got trashed when it came out, and I was watching it. I was kind of like, this movie's kind of fucking crazy too. Like this movie's <laughs> real crazy. Like I don't even think you would even attempt to make a movie like that now. Um, and oh, those- they could. They could, but it, it would get trashed on social media so hard. Yeah. And so, like, a lot of those films we named and stuff like that would be trashed and wouldn't get the traction. But because, the, the you know, the people couldn't speak to powers that be, it's a whole new world now. So it's like people are a little bit more cautious, I guess, cautionary when they're just putting out stuff. But trust me, Showgirl would have been dragged up and down. Oh, and, God. and I, and I, I still would have watched it anyway just because, you know, you know me, I'm a connoisseur of trash. So I'm gonna watch whatever. Well, I'm gonna watch whatever. And if, I, and if it's, it's, a it's entertaining, if it's entertaining, oh, if it's entertaining, honey, I am there. I don't no, care. Look, look, I don't look, care. That's the thing. Like I'm watching that movie. I'm watching that movie, and, and I'm saying to myself, every acting choice that Elizabeth Berkeley makes is so over the top. You know, even though she like, you know, like she grabs like like a soda, like ha. And it's just like this is so <laughs> wild. Um, it's just wild, you know. And there's oh, like this, there's such a high degree of nudity in that that it's so casual because they're doing a, they're doing a topless Vegas show. But it's just like wow, like you know what? You wouldn't be able to do this like at all today. You just wouldn't be able to do it. You know? Listen, it, it was just a bunch of horn boys who had some money and they said, let's just get a bunch, make a movie where we can make our soft porn and get away with it and people will buy into it. That's all it is. And yeah. you know what? I, and I get it. I know what it is. I know it when I see it. And like I said, it's a trash cult classic. It's so bad that it's good yeah. <laughs> in that type of way. But it's like, you know, it, it's, 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 it's the, the time. Timing is everything. Um, let me get sure. to Shamari. Let me get to Shamari's uh, second part of the question, which is another good one. So that was a fun one. So here's a serious, more serious question. When we talk about the development of artists, we often bring up how an artist's craft and their ability to perceive craft grow at different rates and rarely intersect. So my question is this: When you hit that moment where you can perceive where you need to go, but your actual skill has plateaued, what techniques or practices do you find yourselves employing to push past the plateau? To your next level. That's a good question. I, I cry in my bath for like two hours. Oh, Richard. I don't understand her question. 
Like when you like when you think you've gotten to the point where you you know you think you're plateauing at your craft. How do you push past that to make yourself better? Because a lot of times you think that you you got it, you you understand it, you've got the the roots and the basic nuts and bolts. But you know, how do you? So uh, 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 all right. So so I mean, so to me, it's just a question of you are like like you've achieved some level of success and then you're trying to like push to another platform or you like reach a certain point and you're like, I'm good at this foundational stuff. How do I? That's the second, yes. The second yeah, part that's of that. We'll, yes, we'll, that's like, it. Like, to the next level. Right. It sounds well, like water riders block too, but I'm not. Right, I, I, right. I mean, I mean, look, this is my thing. You always need to be looking at people who have, who that that's, they, they've done that. Right. Like, okay, what is someone's career that might do that? And then you can go, oh, so what So what were the pieces behind what they did that changed what they do? And so an example of this in terms of, like, how do you change your the plateau is, a lot of it is, like, is what, like, what are the inputs? And I say that because of this. We were talking about someone that we were talking about Steven Spielberg last night, and I, and I say this about him all the time. I mean, he like he has distinct stages in his career, where if you look at he he, he reached a certain point with his early career, and then he changed the team he's working with, and then he reaches like this next stage in his career, and he changes the team that he's working with, and he and and there's and these jumps in his career like they're noticeably different. By who he's collaborating with, and I, you know, there's a there's a lot of conversation with him, and um, but not, not him, but with with Giannis Kaminsky. He talked about when they worked together on Schindler's List because he had just come off of doing Jurassic Park, which is probably the apex of his type of films he made in the '80s, and you know, and he came in there and and he had all these storyboards. And all this kind of stuff he was going to do for Schindler's List. And Kaminsky said, don't do that. You know everything about how to fucking shoot a movie. You don't need a storyboard. You need to operate the camera on this. You wow. need to just, you know, just fucking wing it. And just, and just find the shots as you're, you know, like doing the rehearsal. And, you know, and, and all this shit. And it's like, and then you go and look at what he, I mean... Like that's the kind of example. Like Schindler's List and Jurassic Park came out six months, six months uh, apart, mm. and and you like and you can see a distinctive style difference in how he right. shot those, what he did, what he's trying to do as a filmmaker became so different, you know. Yeah. And then it's just like boom, and he's ratchet, and it's just like wow, like how does he ratchet up his thing? But there's a lot of filmmakers who are like that. There's a lot of writers who are like that. It's like you have to find a way. To challenge yourself as a storyteller, <clears throat> and then and if you're just writing, then it's like you know what, write something that you've never that you never write, and that and and that and maybe a genre that you don't even like, because it, um, I have a really easy answer for this, um, and I don't I don't mean to make writing sound easy ever. But you guys know how I'm always telling people to read more, you know, read more scripts, read more scripts, right? Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have, and we've talked about this before over the years, Lisa and Chris, we all have two or three scripts that we love, that if you open them, 
you you could find a passage the, the whether it's the opening a cool action sequence a dialogue moment where you open up that scene and you go holy shit and it lights up your fire right for me i have a couple scripts and then when i tell people like really that script i'm like it's about the moment right it's about i picture the movie and the script so i'm i'm with them while it's going on right like like for example when i think about the the pilot to a walking dead right and rick grimes is trying to make his way out of the hospital coming down the um the stairs but the way it's written on the page is you are on your the edge of your fucking chair <laughs> you know what i mean it feels so eerie and creepy the way that he wrote it but i could open up i could be writing a fucking drama from this from the 1800s and pull out a sequence like that and be all in the mood to writing it. You know what I mean? Just because of the prose are written so well, you know? So for me, sometimes it's about finding that thing that drives you. Like we all read a script and be like, wow, how did they do that? Mm. You know what I mean? How did they, you know, and that's just one of the probably seven scripts that I'll pick up, but that's a moment. You just need a moment to get you back into the spirit. You know what I mean? Well, no, mm-hmm. no. So, yeah, but, but see, that is exactly what I'm saying. It's like, find the challenge. Mm-hmm. You read that great line in the Walking Dead script, that little, whatever it's a couple paragraphs, and you're like, that's the challenge of, I need to be that good. Yeah. I need to be that good. How do I get better? Because, but there's, but, but there's a lot of things, there's, there's a lot, like, of what I say, you can't be self-delusional about your work. You have to be really really hard on yourself and say am i that good is my work that good with what right. i'm doing now i might like it and, and and i feel like i understand the craft blah, 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 but am i good enough so that three five you know like years from now i can go back and look at this and go oh this is gonna affect someone else mm-hmm. five years from now something that i wrote right. this, about, this thing about creating art it's like you're creating stuff where you are, what like, you're on the shoulders of the people behind you, and you're also trying to compete. You're also trying to compete with the people who are at your level, but you're also competing with people in the future. Yes, because sure. and, and if you think about that, like I gotta write something so that, like, like if when this gets made, like you know, three years from now, people are gonna be talking about my, my script. Is like, oh, that's the script that you need to read to do this. Because I guarantee you that that when Vince Gilligan wrote Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. He had some ideas for it, but I, but he probably didn't realize that it was like, oh, fucking ten years later, people are still quoting my script. Exactly. You know, um, and it's like that with, uh, with 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 any great piece of art. You're like, okay. t- five, ten, twenty, fifty years later, what mm-hmm. do they do? Oh, it's still fucking it's still resonating now. Right. I think that, I think it's just a conversation you have to have with yourself. Like, how do I keep elevating my game? Because honestly, if you feel if you feel that you that you reach the pinnacle. Or that you've reached the plateau, then you're you're kind of being lazy to a degree because you're not challenging yourself right. enough, in my opinion. Right. You say something? Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So this is what I this is what I say. Um, I think for me, when I wrote the script, that's getting me a little bit of buzz or getting me the most buzz. I went back and like I was going through it, you know, with myself. And so what I always say is uh, think about that question that you've never asked yourself or you've been afraid to explore or that question that if your therapist asked you that you would literally spend the next like month or two of therapy thinking about it or working on it. 
And I think that for me, that is how I wrote that script that got me where I'm at because I asked myself the toughest question, which is why do you deserve to live? And, you know, by going and writing that and exploring that, that's how I came up with that. And I'm at another point now where, um, you know, I was in a meeting, a general meeting with someone. And he was like, yeah, okay, cool. So I just want you to recognize that, you know, you're now leveling up. You now have to level up. And mm-hmm. I was like, fuck, what does that mean? And so from a process standpoint, I was like, I don't know. So what I did was I was like, well, I can't be lazy and just sit around thinking what does level up mean? I hopped on the phone and I hopped on the email with some folks who I respect, who are, you know, co-EPs who are, you know, doing their things that we're all contemporaries age-wise, but they're well above me as far as performance. And I was like, what do you guys do? You know, and, and what are the processes? Like, how do you do an outline? What does that look like? And I'm reading their scripts. I'm reading what it's like for them to go through that stage of taking a script from an idea all the way to shop, you know? And it's like, it's really interesting and intriguing for me. And that helps me from a process standpoint. So I think it's both. I think it's an internal thing and external. You have to find something deeper in yourself to explore. And then you have to find people that you respect and admire and see what they're doing, you know? For sure. For, I mean, it's interesting you said about the outline because I think what I, I like, I remember that Latoya Morgan had mentioned this a lot on Twitter. She was like, if you're a drama writer, you better learn how to outline. And I feel that there's not a lot of outlines floating around. It's usually just the final script. But I kind of think that it might be interesting if people did release their outlines, you know, the stuff that they've sent to the studio that's been approved, like, oh, you know, because, like, if you get a development deal then you don't go to script first. Nope. You got to go to the outline so that those people know what it is because it's, it's yeah, they got to pay you for that, mm-hmm. but it's a less of an expense to, to you know, to, to do the, the draft. And obviously the outline, like, again, everyone knows what you're aiming for, and but those things have to be really detailed and intense, you know, and convey, like, the whole thing on paper so that they, and it gets them invested too before you jump into writing the script. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Move on to the next question from Skylar Izell is a black, broke, and bougie writer. <laughs> Shout out to Skylar on our Twitter question. It says, um, what are some ways writers, filmmakers can expand their skills to find work during the pandemic? For example, I've heard of COVID-19 training certifications to manage compliance on set, but haven't seen any resources on it. When opportunities are scarce, what should folks be doing? Hmm. I wonder if that kind of goes to what Rich was just talking about a moment ago. There was something you were saying that made me think of this for some reason, you know, is everybody has different skills, you know, and I'm one of those people also. I know that I know that a few months ago it was almost like the whole industry has shut down. But now, like I'm getting calls from and I'm sure Chris and you, Lisa, are getting calls and, and requests from showrunners and writers going, hey, I need a writer's assistant like mm-hmm. tomorrow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I got hit last night. And I hit up. I hit up Rich on something. You know about something that just happened like late last night. Prayers mm-hmm. up, fingers crossed, y'all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And mm-hmm. so anyway, so where I'm going with that is, if I were a younger writer trying to come up, an emerging writer. Sorry to say, younger. Um, that's old or new. Um, I would be trying trying to find something in the industry. I guess I feel like this. If whatever you're doing at your job right now is basically paying you a little over minimum wage, you might as well be doing a minimum wage job in the industry. You know what I mean? You're going to be sacrificing regardless. 
but at least you should sacrifice and learn at the same time. Yeah. So, so to answer his question for me, I would be looking at some job. That's why most people start off as an intern because it gets you in the room. You show how good you are, then people hire you. You know. Um, I have to say yeah, go ahead. About swallowing your pride and some fucking humility. I've had a few friends who've had opportunities of a lifetime. I was an assistant back home in government, and I've talked about that ad nauseum. I won't do it anymore because I'm sick of it. But that job would have propelled me to crazy shit had I stayed home. I've had friends who have turned down assistant jobs because of pay. Um, Yeah, six months ago, I had a job that would have cut my pay by 60%. And I was like, fuck it. I will jump on it. I had a friend who was going to be working for the EP as the assistant of the EP of the Ellen DeGeneres show in an assistant job where literally before her, the three people that worked that job within a year and a half had producer credits either on that show or other shows. She literally worked for 10 days and quit because she couldn't handle making $16 an hour. So, you know, as someone who slept in his car, who's been, you know, fucking behind on bills, Mm -hmm. I see shit like that from people, it angers me so please don't be afraid to hustle y'all please don't if, if you too bougie if you too bougie to give up brunch to get ahead in your fucking game then you don't deserve it i'm yeah. just letting you know right now and as a person of color you especially don't deserve it because you're the motherfucker that's complaining about the white kid who has that job and i know the white kid might have family members who are supporting them but fuck that shit you still have lost your right to fucking complain Sorry. I agree with everything that Richard is saying. You there's too many people who want the job. Who who want this is the whole thing. And I we were talking about this the other day when when Jeff was on. So many motherfuckers want the shortcut. They want the shortcut to the damn, you know, like to the dreams. Right. They want the bread at the table. They don't want to cook it. Yeah, and, and, and I'm just kind of like, there's no shortcuts. Part of like, like part of like working the, the shit jobs, the, these assistant jobs and stuff like that. I'm not saying that you know you should work in a in a for a toxic boss. That's a different story. Uh, but there's a level of like, there's a level of resilience mm-hmm. that you have to develop. When you work in this industry, that you can learn that by working at a you know as assistant in these low-paying jobs because you don't because you're not allowed to fucking like exercise your ego and that is very hard for a lot of people because particularly when you're doing art when you have to kind of like maximize your ego to fucking do your work the best. And but it's like you have to kind of like like know that resistance because there's gonna be these moments where you're not where shit's not happening and when shit's not happening you I I mean it's like like that saps at you it's like you feel so bad and it's like but if you have have done this shitty job you're like well okay this is how it is and honestly if you work a shitty job for someone then you're gonna see that it doesn't happen for them all the time either. Well, I think part I think part of the first part of the question too. Don't forget is is how can they expand their skills to find work? 
Oh, to find work. Yeah. Um, how, how can they expand their skills to find work? Well, we have Twitter now, and, and Rich is a perfect example of, of, of using Twitter to your advantage when something pops up, you know, like using, using the, uh, the, the WGA uh, staffing boost. Um, yeah, the staff What's the other one you just did, Rich, that, that got you some meetings? What was that? Hollywood Here, they're fantastic. Jesse B. Evans, thank you very much for your work with that. Hollywood Here, um, the um, Roadmap Writers Program, I would, they do it monthly. I would highly suggest you apply for that if you're listening. They're mm-hmm. fantastic. Joey Tuccio, many thanks for everything you've done. And, um, you know, to be honest, you got to hit the blacklist. Hit Coverfly. Hit those competitions. It's pricey. Finish line script. Mm-hmm. Exactly. If you're not repped, I did it. I've spent hundreds of dollars um, on those things, and I finally got my money back when I won the script pipeline. Exactly. But that's after five years of trying. So I've got another friend who's a finalist. He's a he's a semifinalist for Nichols. You mm-hmm. know. That's so good. it's like. You know, he's a semi-finalist for Nichols with his film, and we were just bartenders, you know, back in March. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you you cannot give up on yourself, and I think that's the thing with COVID that I've seen with a lot of my friends. Um, I had a lot of friends who have moved back. I've had a lot of friends who have given up. A lot of friends who, you know, they're not working, they're not writing, and and you know, I get it. It sucks. Nothing is certain, and God, it looks like with Ruth Bader Ginsburg, God rest her soul. You know, the world's, the country's taking a turn that we're all, a lot of artists are drastically afraid of, but you can't let that stop you. Um, And like, uh, it goes back to what Chris said with me writing Atlanta. I'm not bragging. I'm not patting myself in the back. I just genuinely never thought I would do that shit. I was afraid of Donald Glover in Atlanta. And, you know, I stepped into it. And that's what you got to do, that's guys. Script, I loved it. I had a Thank good time. So, yeah. so, 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 I mean, but, I, but part of what you're... I, you got to send it to Lisa. She'd love it, too. Yeah, I, mean, I think part yes. of what I'm asking is, is, like, if you can pick up other skills. I mean, look, there's shit like, there's shit like uh, Skillshare that can teach you shit. There's, mm-hmm. like, I mean, I, I mean, look, I've been doing, like, a lot of graphic design for people of late, for doing decks and shit like that, and it's like that's a skill I already had, but that's just like some extra money that I, that I'm picking up right now, and I'm you know and and I'm meeting other people in the industry because they're like, oh, can you do this? I was like, yeah, you know, or people ask me to do stuff, and you get to meet new people. There might be a job. These people know that I'm a writer, but they also know, oh, but you do this too. I mean, there's there's way, there's other ways to pick up skills. You have to kind of figure out what what skills people might need. And, you know, and then go, go to, um, let me say this really quick, go to staffmeup.com. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one of the, one of the best ones for the industry staffs, crews and all that stuff. So it, it staffs PAs, interns, you know, if you don't have that much experience and you just want to learn, you can start to work your way, work your way up like that. The other thing okay. I adjust okay. is before we move on is make sure your typing skills are tight because What's coming my way is a lot of writer's assistant, you know, jobs and, and writers, even writer's PA jobs are coming my way that I could afford to people. So even if I get you a writer's PA job, you know, the writer's assistant doesn't want to write all day. Sometimes they need a break. So you're the one to step in and they teach you how to do it. So remember that. Be working on that. Okay. Okay. Our next and, question for, oh, so great. No, I was okay. going to say okay. a real quick tip on making money. And I know this is going to sound stupid. I'm not going to like it, but it's, it's not writing. Uh, I've hopped into the stock market. And real quick, if you got a couple hundred dollars, if you can get into Express Spa, X Spa, get in and get out. 
Um, they're going to blow up. It's, it's airport testing um, across the country. All right. I'm just giving you this tip. Do your due diligence. Right now is a good time to enter. If you can get in the 170 to 190 range, get out when it gets to about 384 or $5. They got warrants at $5.25. You can go to that level, get some money, pay some bills. There you go. What's, what's the name of it again? Express Spa. X as in DMX Spa. And uh, they're doing airport testing. Do your research. Do your DD. If anybody wants, uh, we are rich. You can DM me. I can tell you more about it. Good company gotcha. about to blow up. That's okay. Uh, next question from Clint Williams mm-hmm. on Twitter. What are your thoughts on half-hour TV dramas? There are a handful now, Homecoming, Room 104, but I'm wondering if there might be a market for more. Thanks. Good question, Clint. What do you guys think? I miss half-hour TV start, dramas. Start, start, Rich, because this is your world. Start. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. The reason why is because millennial and Gen Zers' attention spans are getting shorter and shorter, and you're going to – I love Homecoming. I love a 27-minute drama because I was talking – who was I talking to the other day? I don't know if it was Hilliard or not, but I was talking to someone. And I was like, it's a commitment to watch an hour-long drama. God, and yes. Our generation doesn't like to commit to shit. Like, <laughs> so I think if you can write something that's fun, something that's fire, something where the genre is specific, and you go into – and we're looking at platforms like Queeby, you know what I mean? Like, like um, Shudder, if you have a really awesome horror show. You can do it. Uh, I would say there are no more limits. I think with COVID now, we're all changing so rapidly. There are no more limits. So go for right, it. Right, right, right. And I enjoy that. And I enjoy them too. When I'm scrolling through stuff and looking for content to look at, like a good half hour drama, like I just don't have the time. There's so much content, so much stuff I want to see. I don't want to. I don't want to put that much energy into a whole hour or something. I want to get in and out. Keep me in. Keep me out. I think that's why I liked. Um, uh, a couple of the Netflix shows earlier in the season that came out that really got me excited because one, they gave me the content that I wanted, but the timing of it, the half hour, you know, between like 35, 40 minutes, it's just perfect. It was just the right amount for my attention span to get in, to get out and keep it pushing. What are you about to say something, Chris? Yeah, well, I mean, look, I mean, I think what you're, you guys are saying is true. I mean, look, I didn't really get into watching Homeland. I only watched the pilot of Homecoming. And I, the, I was like, ah, I don't know if I'm going to watch this. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I mean, you have to really figure out something a little different if you're doing a, a half-hour drama uh, because that's, I, that was part of my issue that I didn't like about The Mandalorian is that it was like 27 minutes. Mm-hmm. But I'm not... I mean, I think that Quibi failing because of timing doesn't mean that that is a failed model. Um, these little, you know, I think the stuff I've seen on Quibi that I feel is like, I, I don't know if they wrote those things to the 10 minutes, this like, like or, 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 or whatever the little short blast are giving you. I don't think they wrote it to that the right way from the two that I'd seen. And I only watched two episodes. I was like, I, it felt like, it felt imbalanced. And... I feel like, you know, you can still tell the story and make it work in, in that time period. Here's the thing is that most of the hour shows or the dramas that you're seeing on Netflix and on uh, Amazon, they're more than an hour. They're like, yep. I, mean, I mean, look, they're over 47 minutes. So, like, you know, the 47 minute was your mark on the broadcast thing. 
Mm-hmm. You see the clock in it like 49, I mean, 59, an hour seven. I'm like, that's like too fucking long, you know? And it's, and it's not, it's not, um, uh, 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 it's, I gotta do it enough for me. Like, 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 I was, you know, in the second, I'm gonna spoil something for people. That second episode of fucking um, of Lovecraft Country, there's a moment that they're like that they've like escaped and they're driving and there's bridge and mm-hmm. and, the, and the car and their car blows up or gets stopped and then the guy shoots someone and you fucking don't know like who got shot. Right. That's where the episode should ended, but it didn't. It mm-hmm. ended another 15 minutes later, you know. And I was kind of like, I just. You miss you misbalanced this or something like you know I I, I don't know and, it, and it, that episode like ran over an hour and it, and, I, and I started getting bored because it was like the rest I, of it was, the rest agree. of it was like yeah. the rest of it was they were drawing out this big ceremony and I was like mm-hmm. you didn't need to do that right like and and that kind of like soured me on on to watch the next episode I haven't watched it yet because I was like it's too long it's too long and it's and and and, and it was not that engaging where. I'm where I'm excited to watch something like it's 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 close to a movie length, you know. One one of the things I do want to speak on is ego of the artist, and I think that's something I've had to swallow and look at. And I think one of the things I want to say is kill your babies. Um, and I think that's what I'm seeing a lot in TV now, uh, especially with Lovecraft, because I do agree there's a glut of amazing imagery but i'm not sure if it's needed and that's my only drawback to this season because there's so much sometimes that it kind of complicates and convolutes what's the, the spine of the story and um i think for me with one of my scripts as i was reading chris is reading it now i reread it last night and i was like what the fuck am i doing <laughs> I, was like, I was like what the fuck and like i want to write this thing that's got like it's got like luther vandross it's charles me it's this and that and i'm like it's got trans love and black love and i'm like nigga like can you focus on one thing right it sounds like you almost have a theme problem like you keep talking to too many things you know that's exactly it i went back in and i was like dog you're trying to analyze love but like you're coming at all these angles i'm like what the fuck is your angle and i'm I'm, this is what i'm saying to myself and i looked at modern love and i was like yeah and i got exactly and i got scared and i was well is my show too much like modern love and i went back and watched modern love and i was like nah my shit's gonna be better and i was just like you know (laughs) i I don't care i love Anne hathaway but that shit is still i love love how you talk to yourself how i talk to myself like you just talk yourself (laughs) like your whole individual life you You gotta be confident (laughs) you gotta be you gotta be tough tough no but it's interesting is because i think that modern love is a show that is really a drama that's half hours, you know. Yeah, I, sure. I, I mean, I mean, the, I mean, I kind of felt. I mean, like the two. I saw, I saw three of them. I saw the one with Anne Hathaway, which I think, and the one with uh, Tina Fey, and then right. I saw like this other one, and I mean, and, and and they're all pretty decent. I'm not saying that they would have worked better at an hour. They actually would have worked worse at an hour because their dramas. Because there's so, there's really only one storyline. It's just the one person's, you know, like if it was a regular drama, there'd be other characters who would have other storylines that would fill it out. Right. But those things just have the one storyline, and it's like, okay, it works for 27 minutes because that's how that's how much you would give, you know, like the A story, the A story would get 27 pages anyway, you know. Let me it's let just, me just say this before we move to the next question: Is this, if you're gonna write a half hour show, Clint? 
whether it be a sitcom or a single camera, whether it be dramedy or comedy all the way through, just be sure that that is probably the genre that you particularly want to write. Now, I'm somebody who goes back and forth between film, TV, half-hour dramedy, and hour drama. So sometimes you get lost in it a little bit, only in the sense that if you don't already have a rep, for example, and you lead with your best script, and it is a half-hour sitcom feeling show, and then your next one is a one-hour drama, for example, they just don't know what to do with you. I can't explain it. And a lot of you have to remember that a lot of the showrunners, most of them are white guys over 50, right, who grew up, you know, coming from working on shows like fucking The Golden Girls or something. I'm just spitballing here. <clears throat> and so they have the mentality. So if you write, if you write, um, or even let's, let's fast forward and say somebody who wrote on The Wire or something like that, and, and now they're working on a show that you want to write on, and all, the only thing you have is this cool drama that's a half-hour show. To them, they think you can't write an hour. It's a weird thing how we think in L.A., you know, but it's really like that. So just be aware of what your samples are. Well, you know? well, yeah, yeah, that's a good point because it's kind of like you don't get a chance to really break the mold mm-hmm. if you're coming in as a writer, you know, and if you're writing something to get on someone else's show. You know right. what I'm saying? Like, like, I say that all the time. It's like, you know, like, like, are you writing this to get on a show or are you writing this to try to get it made? You try to get it made. It's a whole different kind of process, and you not you not you don't care what showrunners think and shit like that. Like your thing is, what are the the studios gonna meet and blah blah blah. But the thing is, you can't even get to the studios unless you you know have given them something that that people can like. They, they need those handrails. Once yeah. you have the handrails and some reps, you go, oh, what are you doing? I want to do this. And they're like, oh yeah, fuck, let's do this. That's different. But to come in with with no sense of like like you said earlier like you know like like you you to be vetted and you write mm-hmm. something that can get you vetted and then once you're in the door well then you can knock down the you know then you can keep expanding the yeah. door with some with some shit that no one's seen before yeah you can reinvent yourself later yeah you know i think that's partly why they tell emerging writers all the time to focus on one genre or one style or whatever <clears throat> thing it is you write what I found is I, I, I understand why they say it, and I agree to that to an extent, but I also feel like if you're a writer who can sustain, like what I've done, I've done so many different genres and so many different mediums, but they all talk to the same themes. Right. You know what I mean? And that is the key, is if you could do that, then I, then I see where your voice is within a comedy or a drama or sci-fi or supernatural, whatever it is, I still get it. And just a last little pickup on the last thing you guys were talking about, about Lovecraft Country, is for me, I hear all the problems with it, but all those problems you have with it are also things that I like in the sense we finally have a TV show with black faces on it about the past, which is something I love to write about, right? With supernatural shit, which I fucking love to write about, right? And it's almost like an action adventure. Like I think it was episode two or three. It turns into fucking Indiana Jones and shit. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, what? <laughs> you know, sorry, sorry to give that away, Chris. But I was like, holy shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so for me, that sometimes overpowers how good it is. Yet I think we'll continue to get better. But this is our first one. You know, unfortunately, that's just how it is. But I think our first one is still 
pretty good because I think Misha is one of the best writers out there. No, so. Lovecraft Country is phenomenal. And like it, the thing that it, it's getting better and better. And I right. think they're going to get it to that point. I, I don't know. This, is a lot. this could be Black Game of Thrones. You know, it really could be. Yeah, if sure. we support And if they grow. Yeah, there'll be a Comic-Con next year killing it. Well, yeah. I, I mean, look, <clears throat> I like what, the, look, I agree with everything that you're saying. I think that part of my issue with the show is I'm steeped in that lore. Mm-hmm. I know about all the kind of, the, 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 like that kind of supernatural shit. Right. And I kind of feel like she might be approaching this like, because we've never seen black people in this, I got to kind of walk a certain way with it. And I'm kind of like, yeah, but assume that the audience for this, doesn't matter if you're black or white, loves this shit. Mm-hmm. To the point that, that you can do shorthand and because we've seen it before with white people, then, then we get it, then, then we'll get it here. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I mean, like, that's my only issue. I mean, I, I mean, look, she's doing a phenomenal job. I love the cast. I love, like, the, the world they're exploring. And it's written really well. And the scenes, the, 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 the interest scene shit is really cool. Um, you know, really, really well done. I know, I know the, audi- the audience can't see it, but I want to show you guys my Miskatonic shirt. So you can tell you I'm a Lovecraft person from way back. It's my, my Mickey Mouse. I'm a Mickey Mouse shirt. Can you guys see it? Uh, no. Pull it closer? No. Is it further away, maybe? Oh, there you go. Okay. Oh, closer. Maybe it's further back, I think. That's what happens when you have those screens. It, it, it makes oh, sorry. Sense. I'll read it. Basically, it's like a, um, a Cthulhu-looking Mickey Mouse, and it says Miskatonic Mouse Club. <laughs> so if you know who Cthulhu is and all that, you you only a Lovecraftian person would get that T-shirt, and that was like from years ago. So yeah, can, can I speak to young emerging or emerging writers being bullied by? Yes, please yes. Do. yes. there's there's something that's been on my mind that's really upset me. There's an African American man. I won't name his name, but he was he was from a minimal bartending, and he helped. He did his part, you know, to help me get a job. Mm-hmm. And to be frank, he did the thing. Um, I had an option offer from a second company on the script, Apop, and it was one of those cool things where it was like, oh, cool, here we go. But it turns out that the gentleman who was making me the offer, who my friend took me to, he was a non-writing producer, and he had some very unsavory things about him in the media that. Um, you wouldn't want to be attached to. So in the uh, media, huh? In the media, yeah. he had stuff. No, he he groped women on set, um, oh. multiple multiple yeah. women, multiple times. It was kicked off of his show, and so um, I was struggling with whether or not I should be attached to that. You know, my first time out of the block, and it's mainly from a character standpoint. It's like you mm-hmm. you, you who you associate with matters. So, anyways, blah blah blah. Um, I deferred to my lawyer and when I got my reps, I deferred to them to say, Hey, what do y'all think? Because you have a better idea of what's going to happen. And so what I found out was from the the friend, the black guy who put me onto him, who was also going to be an executive producer was that, you know, they were going to rep me, uh, from a managerial standpoint as well as develop my show. But then they decided to hold my meeting that I got on my own both until I signed and then the guy kept texting me saying, hey, have you made a decision yet on your agent? Have you made a decision yet? It seems like you don't want to be with us if that's the case, blah, blah, blah. 
Whereas I kept telling him, I just want to wait for my agent. I just want to make for my agent. So what I'm trying to say to y'all folks is like, and, and then when I talked to my new agents, they were like, yeah, no. And let me tell you something. I've got a, a woman who's one of my agents and the sigh of relief I heard from her when I told her that I was not enthused about working with this man because of his character. Mm-hmm. I can tell you how many points I earned in her eyes just from a character standpoint, not as an artist, but as a man. Because I'm saying that I'm not putting my career above someone else's rights. And I think that's very, very important, guys, is Mm. your character matters in this industry because as much as shitty as this industry is, there are a lot of good people out there who will judge you based on your character. And I got some posts on Facebook I'm not proud of. I got some shit I've done in my past I'm not proud of, but I'm trying to be better. Like I always say, I ain't shit, but I'm trying to be. And you know, <laughs> you know? I love it. The and, first thing is to admit it. My name just yeah. got nice shit. But you know, I'm honest about it. Yeah. But I think that's the one thing I'll say. But don't be bullied, guys, because I would have signed another a, my second option would have been a bad option. Horrible. It would have been because it's a bad option with yeah. someone who I wouldn't want to be attached to. So right. don't be bullied. And it's right. an interesting thing because what you did was, and this, this is the thing that I, I know I've been working with you for two years on, on Rich, is going with your instinct, right? Because, and, and we all know this, Chris, Lisa, every time we've done something that our gut told us not to do, we regretted it two or three months later. Mm. Every fucking time. No matter how good it sounded, no matter how great whatever it was, you know what you know you can do and can, can take and can't take. Only you know, Right. But if your gut is going, mm, there was something weird about the way that person said that thing. There was something weird about the way he, he put that exclamation point there. That means he's kind, of a, he's kind of yelling at me right now. Like whatever the thing is and you said something, go with it. Because if you don't, you're going to sign that fucking paper and be stuck there for a year or two. Now, mind you, the other thing is you can get out of an agency thing. You get to, or a manager that you get signed with them, and if they don't get you work in 30 days, you could just send them a letter and say, "Hey, I'm done." You know what I mean? Um, but you also, it's here's where I was going. The other part of, of it is you get stuck with. I always tell everybody, the manager you want is somebody who's kind of doing what, what what this manager was doing. Hey, dude, we want you. Where are you? Are you ready yet? We really want to sign you. You want somebody to do that because they think they can sell you. Right. So you're stuck juggling between I finally got somebody who wants me. I've been going for three years with nobody wanting me. Now somebody wants me. But the deal they're offering me shit. That's what you have to listen to more. Either the the deal sucks or the people you're working with suck. Well, it's kind of like, you know, like your reps are kind of like someone you're dating. Exactly. You know, just because (laughs) you haven't had sex in a while means like, well, (laughs) Do I have to fuck the first person who's like toxic and shit because I just want to fuck? Well, <laughs> I'm glad you really want to fuck because there's gonna be someone else right around the corner. But yeah. if you fuck that wrong person, and it's like just it just and it's like the 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 the, the, the that initial time you've had sex after such a, a dry period is it like that's gonna like wear off quicker. Mm-hmm. You be like, God damn it! Now I'm in this thing that's fucking up my fucking up all my shit. Right. And I don't like it. And I gotta get out of it. Sounds like you come from experience, Chris. <laughs> but even worse than that, 
had some personal. You let me, let me you take you back off of that. Let me take you back off of that, though. And, and, I think you had a flashback. Let me piggyback off of that really quick before we wrap up and, and, and put it into writer's words. So, so, okay, you haven't been with anybody in a long time. I'm going to bring it to writing. You haven't been with anybody in a long time. You finally get somebody who's into you. You guys hook up, and guess what happens? Remember Eddie Murphy? You know, when you're hungry and you eat some crackers, it's the best fucking crackers you ever had. He's like, damn, some good Ritz, right? (laughs) It's the same theory. So you ain't had a rep ever or in your life and all or two years spout with nobody. All of a sudden, they're like, hey, we want to get you. We want to sign you. We can make you the next Issa Rae, whatever the fuck. You know what I mean? And, and, And then you go through, you're supposed to do your DD as, as Rich always said, you do diligence. You come to learn that somebody at that, that, that company, you know, has a bad rep. Is it your, that's your duty to do that research. Yeah. To figure yeah. that out. Because Chris just said, you're going to be in a relationship with these people. So you might want to know who you're about to fuck. <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So no, that's what I'm saying. Bad. Exactly. So there you go. Anyway, we have any more questions? Was that it for now? I think there was one last one, right, but we might have, we might have answered it before. And this it's a quick one. It's from Skyler again. Hi, Skyler. Um, it says agencies are coming around on signing the WGA agreement regarding packaging, but looks to the right, looks to the left, leans in and whispers, "Are mm. agents even necessary in a post WGA staffing boost world? What about managers?" I, it's, well, it's a timing thing. Go ahead, Chris. I'll let you finish. I mean, I'm gonna say this. The staffing boost, the, 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 the staffing boost and all that staffing stuff, I mean, you have to, you have, you have to look at, like, um, what are... See, here's the thing about this stuff, right? The staffing boost, people are posting that stuff on Twitter, and I kind of feel like those are outliers, mm-hmm. you know? Because it's like, it's just like, it's just almost like everything in the business is your outlier, if you if something crazy happens to you, like oh my god, like the guy who did that. Remember that one show that the Halle Berry was in that's extant. She was right. that thing, and that guy had never wrote anything. He wrote this little thing. He got in, and they bought it. First thing he wrote, and he's on the air. And it's like that's people. People hold yeah, that. Phenomenal, you right. know. And I, and I and it's like, I mean, I was talking with Little Chang about it, and, and and he was like, you he was like, you need to be with an agent franchise person because that person's job is to know where all of the openings are because mm-hmm. here's the thing the shit you be staffing boost it might be like 10 people who are looking on that who, who want to staff but i remember the last time that like i looked on the wga staffing portal which is behind too because there was probably yep. problems with that yep. People already got staff, and it's still up there like as if it's available. Here's the thing on there. I remember the last time I looked was maybe like in May, and it was like there was like 60 pages of shows. That's crazy. That had closed. And, 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 and there's maybe 20, 20, uh, there's probably 20 shows per page. So you're looking at like that's a huge number. That's all day. It's, it's all day, and mm. it's, it's kind of like that that can't be your job as the writer to, to, to find out like those 60 shows, you know, that a lot of stuff's coming back. It's, it's not all new shows, 
but just 60 pages it shows but it's like that's how much work there is and it's like that's why that's why an agent or like a manager who's really tapped in can get you get you read by like 50 people mm-hmm. you know that you that you wouldn't be able to do on your own you know the staffing boost could get you read by what five ten maybe i don't really know people people aren't posting like hey i did the staffing boost and I got read by forty people, and I got staffed. They're no. like, they're, they're like, they're not telling you like, like, like those kind of statistics, you know, to help you. Yeah, you we know? don't know yet. We don't know. Yeah, um, yeah. so, so, so other, we don't know that. I'll just add this before we wrap up: is do you need an agent? I mean, I won't say you need an agent. It depends on how strong your hustle is. You know, like I said, I went since two thousand ten or twelve. Without an agent, so that no, it wasn't that long. Um, maybe until about yeah, 2017 was was it, from 2012 to about 2017 without a rep. It did not stop me from working. You know what I mean? So really, it's just up to you, your hustle, your you know the groups of people that you hang around with, who you know. Um, it always comes down to that because I'm telling you, I'm signed. I'm signed one of the top four agencies in town, and I'm still sending them things that I set up. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? yeah, it's well, never it, gonna stop. Well, that's what we were saying earlier. It's never well, gonna well, stop. Like pe- people think the representation thing is going to make it easier for you. No. It's not. All they can really do is open up relationships that you may not have. Exactly. Then they can't get you, they can't get you work. It's up to you to to, to want to to get yourself work. And, and even if they set up an interview, even if they set up an interview with you, it's up to you to get to get the job. Right. You know, to, to, to close the job. It's not, I mean, they can't close the job for you. Right. You know, and here's, and so. here's where they're strong. For example, I'm up for a TV show right now to write on a, on the staff of a show. Prayers uh, up, fingers crossed. And, and guess what? It's because it's with that agency is representing the show. Yeah. You feel me? That's what was missing before. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so I personally say you, sh- if you can, you should, but I, I definitely talk to my manager three times a week. I talk to my agent once a month, maybe. You know what I mean? So it's up to you. But but we're, we email, but I don't t- actually speak to him but once a month. You know what I mean? So it's, it's just up to you how you want your relationship to go. But I think you need one um, to get you things like you were saying that you would never know about. Um, and then remember, your manager and your agent are working together. They're on the phone all the time, you know? talking about stuff and, you know, organizing and, you know, and figuring out a game plan. Hey, do you know this person over at Sony? Because I want to send submit Hilliard for this thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. I worked with him last year. You know, whatever it is. So they help each other. You know what I mean? So that's what's up. Lisa, you got anything? That was good. That was good. All right. So Rich, before we wrap up. Uh, any thoughts on that point or just in general? In general, before we wrap up. Oh, um, I would say um, we live in a really shitty time, turbulent time. Um, every LE you could think of, emotionally, financially, <laughs> like we just, yeah. we don't yeah. know what the fuck's going to happen. The one thing I'll say is, please don't be disillusioned. The world is not coming to an end. Your life is not over. Your life isn't shit. Collectively, this world is in a place we haven't been in 100 years and arguably ever. 
And what I will say is just keep fighting. Dig in. Find your way. If you can't make a way, find a way. You will succeed. And if you keep that, if you find a way, if you make a way, you will come out of this far better than you ever thought. So please don't give up. Please don't hate yourself. Please don't think that you're any less than because of what's happening around you. You're not, okay? If anybody's saying that, fuck them, okay? Exactly. On that note, thank you. Thank you to everybody who uh, sent us some questions and stuff. Oh, and, and, before we we clo- and before we close, I just want to give, give a shout out to, because um, I just saw it this morning, because um, I didn't watch the Emmys or anything like that, but um, Ron and Jasmine Cephas Jones, yeah. they became the first father-daughter to win uh, um, mm-hmm. Emmys in the same year yes. together, so that's awesome, and I've been a Ron Cephas Jones you know, fan yeah. for years, is just a phenomenal actor, so the fact that him and his daughter won Emmys together in the same year is pretty monumental, and it's never never he's, happened before, so he's even though... Yes. And what show is she on? She's on. Uh, she was on um, free, uh, uh, the series Free Ryan Shaw. It's a um, Quibi show. Oh. Yeah. Right, 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 right. So, um, yeah, so that's that's phenomenal. So if you don't know who Ron said, he was on This Is Us, but he's been in a whole lot of theater, a lot of other stuff. Just one of those those black American giants, you know, actors. He's one of those that, guys like, like Morgan Freeman who became famous like in his late 50s, 60s. Yeah, or whatever. yeah. fantastic character actor. Just anytime you see him, he just... He just elevates the work and whatever he's in. So I'm just really stoked. And even though you guys know I don't really like black firsts that mm-hmm. much because it's 2020 and we need to get beyond that. But mm-hmm. this is this is pretty phenomenal, not just because of the black first, but because it's just the first that any time this has ever happened. So mm-hmm. I'm really thrilled for um, Ron and Jasmine. Awesome. Awesome. So where you at, Rob, Rich? Uh, on Twitter at We Are Richie. Um, Instagram, Richard Scott 94 and Facebook. I don't really know. Just Google, just Facebook, Richard Scott plus Harvard. You'll see like a green Everton logo and then you can just add me. Uh, Chris, Derek, where you at? Uh, unauthorized CBD on Twitter and Instagram. Cool. Lisa, Lisa, Cult Jam. I'm on uh, Twitter at what fresh hell is this? Nice. And I'm your host, Hilliard Guest. You guys can find me on Twitter, Instagram, at Hilliard Guest. You guys can follow the show. Screenwriters are on Twitter. Any questions, screenwritersrantroom at gmail.com. Any questions, give us a, um, any questions. Um, also, what else, Chris? Sorry. Oh, so you can support the show on, at screenwritersrr.com where you can find our link to our Patreon page. Uh, and then you, you know, there's a bunch of tiers of things that you could do to support the show: two dollars, five dollars, eight dollars, ten dollars, you know, uh, like whatever it is. There's there's multiple ways to support the show, and we would really appreciate it if you did that. Uh, again, it's uh, screenwritersrr.com. For sure. Um, let me see what else. Uh, anyway, you can find us everywhere um, that you listen to a podcast. Um, like I said, on. Um, Google Play, Spotify, you know, Apple, you know, anything, iTunes, we're everywhere. So you guys can find us. Please follow the show, share it, retweet it, all that other stuff. We appreciate you guys. We love you. And um, y'all know how we do it on the Rant Room. On the show, we keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what, everybody? Wakanda forever. Peace, y'all. I'm going to say what I feel. And I promise to keep it real. Welcome to the Red Room.
well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminishing, the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind, and the business got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know, the street nerd has got no time for no kata. Sass in class, yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hillier. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the Red Room.